listening to sermon audio from First Baptist Church of Van Holstein. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. All right, well, thank you, Keegan and worship team. It's good to be here this morning with you preaching, and uh, somebody said, uh, I didn't know you were preaching today. I said, yeah, I didn't let anybody know. I thought the weather was, would drive people away enough, um, and so kept that a little secret. And, um, but uh, maybe you know that last year, 2020, Mike preached a lot, and uh, he decided 2021 is going to be a little bit different and uh, going to take some time off that he needed uh, throughout, and so uh, they're on a little weekend getaway for Chrissy's birthday, and so I hope that they find uh, just a refreshing time uh, in Waco and being at Magnolia, I'm sure, for hours and hours. So we need to pray for our pastor. Uh, that's what we need to do right now, right? So something ha- uh, a couple weeks ago in our, our staff meeting, um, as we were leading up to this, Mike said, hey, uh, I'm going to start a series of 1 Corinthians. Uh, by the 24th, when I'm going to be off, we're going to be on the foolishness of preaching. And so I would like Griff to preach instead of Jace. And, uh, and so, yeah, that's what I thought too. I was like, that's what I heard. I was like, oh, well, yeah, the foolishness of preaching. Yeah, we, we know which one is going to do that message. And so uh, uh, that's what I hope to do is, is uh, deliver some foolish preaching, right? And so, uh, with, and even as Paul says, without eloquence. And so I asked her this morning, Shirley, I said, uh, what's the sign language for uh? Because you might need that a lot today. Uh, it comes out of my mouth too much, too much I know. So I apologize for that already. And so this morning, uh, we're, we're going to gather and we're going to be preaching out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be kind of starting there in around verse 17, 18. So if you want to prepare your app or your Bible uh, for that, it'd be good. Uh, this morning, uh, this message, a lot of it as I prepared it, uh, some things of this week influenced me. And uh, some, some things that happened in our world, some things that shocked me, some things that made me stop in my tracks, made me consider my own frailty, and, uh, and maybe it did you also. Now, these things, events I'm talking about, one of them uh, has nothing to do with Washington, D.C., anything that happened there, so stop thinking about that. But this week... There was an accident north of Howe that was very tragic, very shocking, very just um, unnerving. And if you know the details of that, of that wreck where a semi-truck went off the highway, went to a place of business, and a young girl who grew up in this community, 23 years old, was killed while talking on a phone, walking into work. And that makes you stop. It should Pray for that family, pray for that husband, pray for members in our community who lost a loved one. And then we, we, it makes us stop because it reminds us that we're not guaranteed anything, that life is short, life is precious, and that uh, eternity is for sure. And then later in the week, I, I start my Thursdays. Um, uh, maybe you know we're, we're, in, we're a foster family now. And, and so on Thursdays, I help transport the kids to their parents. And so I start the day off on, on driving on 380. And uh, for a guy that commutes one mile from the hood in Georgetown to downtown VA, 
uh, that's a little unnerving. If you put on, if you put Denton into your uh, GPS and stuff like that, it, it wants to take you to uh, George Bush or through uh, Tioga, but it doesn't want to take you on 380 for good reason. And so Thursday, I traveled th- 380 in the morning, and, and at night I came over the hill, and uh, up ahead of me was uh, the brightest lights I've ever seen of flashing red and white and blue lights, and uh, there had to be. 35 to 40 emergency vehicles stopping traffic, six lanes of traffic, diverting people. And, uh, and as you got closer, you saw the accident that was there, multiple car accidents, uh, six-car pileup, and not in the intersection that you might think. Um, but basically, they learned now that a drunk driver, while others were stopped at a red light, just plowed into a car that was stopped full force. Uh, because of alcohol-impaired driving, and other cars caught on fire. And, and so in that spot, someone lost their life. Others um, were transferred to hospital, and one of the, the amazing things about that it just caught my attention was if you know where that accident is, and you'd probably do 380 in Lake Forest, is in the shadow of one of the best hospitals in the Metroplex. And so the proximity of that accident wasn't enough to save someone's life. Now, hopefully and maybe the proximity for others involved, that was a key to saving their life. But we know one individual that 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 wasn't enough. And as we sit today as a pastor, just to remind you that sitting in here is not close enough. Coming to church on a Sunday morning is not close enough. It is, it, it's, like, it's like being at an intersection next to a hospital and losing a life. You can sit in this room every Sunday. You can have perfect attendance like Rennie. And you could be in this service 100% of the time. And it's not going to be enough without Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so those things, reading about the foolishness of preaching impacted me this week. I pray they impact you. The realization that we will not live forever, that eternity is beyond our time. We are made for eternity. There's a reason why when we lose someone, even a grandparent who's lived a long and full and great life, still not enough. There's a reason for that. It's because you were made for eternity. You weren't made just for this, this short breath of life. You were made for eternity. There's a reason, and we have to prepare for that, and we do that through the foolishness of the preaching of the gospel. And so as we look today and we look at what Paul said to the church in Corinth, uh, he, he, he asks, he's going to ask a question. Basically, he says, what do we have to show for our wisdom? The, we're so wise, and in a time of... Uh, in a place, in a time period of, that, of great wisdom, some of the best wisdom of our world during that time period, we need to realize that it applies to us still today. And yes, we have made advancements. Just like they made advancements, we've made advancements in technology. If you just consider the technology advancements that tried to save people's lives even this week, that in the stories I just mentioned, 
that if you drive Highway 75, there's barricades in the middle of the median, concrete barricades, because we know, and there's been tragic accidents where vehicles go through the median and go on to oncoming traffic. So we put up barriers. And then we've come along the side of the highway and we've put grooves. So when a tire touches those grooves going at 70 miles an hour, it, it creates a vibration, it creates a sound, it creates movement in your car that should wake you up, should wake you up. And then we have airbags and vehicles for when our car is involved in an accident that should protect us. We've, we have uh, recalls on cars that we find out that their gas tanks are in the wrong position or when impacted from certain angles create explosions and, and all those things. And we've come far ways in great technology, but yet, and we, we advance in those areas, but are we any different in here? And the scriptures tell us we're still the same. Despite our trappings of our technology, we are still the same here. And we still have the same need here. And so when Paul looks at this and he says, where's the wisdom of this great age? We can ask the same question. Where's the wisdom of our great age? Have we been able to to bring peace to our world? And we'd say no to that. Have we been able to bring satisfaction to the soul? No. Have we been, have we educated enough to the point that, that we've eradicated racism in our world? No. As long as there are people, that will be an issue. We might be more educated than our forefathers, but the question is, are we any more moral? And we would get a resounding no to that. We have more resources than any generation, but are we any less selfish? We've mastered communication, but yet we're distant and we don't listen. And we we don't face anything that the people in the past haven't faced in their life and in the in important issues of our, of, of our question, of our age, and of, as people. Even plagues we'd faced in the past were just different actors in a, in, a, in a thing that never changes. And so Paul in chapter in Corinthians is speaking to a church and, and he's challenging them in their faith and in the issues of their day and the issues of, of their church and problems of their church. And last week, Paul, uh, Mike talked about the divisions and those who followed uh, Paul and Apollos and followed Christ. And, and, and at the end of that section, Paul writes this sentence that leads us into what we're going to focus on today. And it says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom. Amen. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. And our hope and prayer today is that the cross of Christ is not emptied of its power in this message, in this place, and in our church, and in our world that we, we enter. Read with me in chapter, and starting in verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? 
where is the wisdom that we so think is so great? Has, God, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world through the cross? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God though through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And this is where we're going to center on, starting in verse 22. For the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and a folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so what we see there is Paul mentions three groups of people, and that's what we're going to highlight today. And what we look at and even applies to us is that you have three groups of people looking at the cross, looking at the power of the cross, looking at the foolishness of the preaching, uh, and, and what, is, what do they see? And the first group of people is, uh, he would classify as the, as the Jewish people, and, and we see in that section that they demand signs, that they even, they, there's a, but the preaching of Christ crucified is a stumbling block. There's something in the way. There's something that these people can't get over. There's something that the Jewish people can't get past. It is stopping them from, from seeing Jesus, who, who he is. They're stop, it's stopping them from seeing the cross for the value of what it has and how it saves. And it's a stumbling block. They can't get past. And so what is that? And what are they looking for? And it says that they demand signs. And see, the Jews were looking for the miraculous as if Jesus wasn't miraculous enough. The history of the Jewish people, they were looking for something bigger. They were not interested, or at least the scribes and Pharisees, were not interested in the healings that showed care and concern for the lowly and the outcasts and the people that Jesus reached out to and touched physically and healed them physically. You see, they were looking into their history, and they see the big things of history, like the, the plagues that brought uh, Pharaoh to his knees to allow the Jewish people to leave Egypt. And then that same group of people to be, to be uh, at the water's edge as the Egyptian army's coming and to think that why did we just come out here to die by the Egyptians and, and God would part the Red Sea and they would walk across on the miraculous dry land. And then they would see the waters close on their, on their enemies. They would they would look into their past, and they would see Elijah battling the prophets Baal. And they would see that the prophets of the fire god crying out to their god to, for just a spark to get the fire going on a perfect, perfect barbecue. And yet nothing happened. And to see the water poured flowing over it, the wet wood, and a simple prayer that would bring down fire to destroy the altars and the altar. And then destroy the prophets of Baal because they, the people realized that there was one true God. The people after crossing the Jordan River, after having to step there, when they're going into the promised land, and they have to this time physically go into the water because, and, and, and then the water would part for them and allow them to cross into the promised land that they'd been waiting for and lived through. And then to see the walls of Jericho the mighty fortress, and for them to say, we can't defeat that, and God has a plan for them to march around it and for the walls to fall. You see, they were looking for signs like that, but not just the signs like that. 
They were looking for some of the results like that. You see, they were looking for like the parting of the Red Sea and then the enclosing of the Red Sea to defeat their enemies, the Egyptians. They were looking for the for the, the defeat of the prophets of Baal, like in Elijah. They were looking for a defeat of, and the walls crumbling down. They were looking at the results. Now, you're not, not just saying we demand signs, but they were looking for results, not just symbols of, of, of miraculous connection to God, but that of a, a greater Moses to destroy something that they wanted destroyed in their lifetime, and that would be the Roman Empire. And so they... They would, they would ask you that the Messiah would cast out that enemy, would eradicate from their land the oppressor. And that's what they filled in the blank for the miraculous. And then they asked Jesus, it said in Matthew chapter 12, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given Except, here's the sign, the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will be the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The sign would come. The sign is not just me eradicating uh, the Roman Empire and starting a new kingdom here for you. It's a kingdom that is beyond that. You see, the Jewish people, when we look at the prophecies of Jesus, it's hard for us to to see that the Jewish people who are supposed to be studying the scriptures missed out on Jesus being the golden thread in, of, of, through the Old Testament, being, being the sacrifice like, the, like at Passover, the blood over the doorpost, and that Jesus is connected to that, and that, that God had a plan from the beginning of time, and that that plan in, it needed a perfect, perfect person, a perfect uh, uh, lamb to be slaughtered, and that blood spilt for the redemption of you and I. But they didn't see that. They didn't see the golden thread of redemption throughout the old, into the new, through the end. The sign they were looking for was something in their own day. The sign they were, the, they were looking for was the resurrection. Jesus said, the sign you're going to look for is the resurrection. But they could not get past the cross. Because the Jews were looking for power and great glory, they stumbled at the weakness of the cross. The Messiah they wanted was earthly. The Messiah they wanted was militaristic. The Messiah they wanted was political. We still want that. God says, I've got a bigger kingdom than yours. Even those who stuck around after the cross still were caught into this trap. Some of you might have read this this morning in your Acts study. Acts chapter 1 verse 6, it says this. This is after, after Jesus is he's amongst them, and he's about to go up. They have one question. They get to ask Jesus a question here in, in Acts, and they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? We still think that the Messiah is all political, is what they're saying. Jesus, we, we, this is awesome. This is awesome. You died three days later, we stuck with you, and you're here, you're alive. Now, I guess you're really going to eradicate the Romans and establish the kingdom of Israel, right? I still missed it. 
we still miss it. One second into eternity, being Jewish will not matter anymore. One second into eternity, being Roman will not matter anymore. And as a guy who belongs to a Texas shirt of the month club, one second into eternity, Texas, being a Texan will not, be, will not matter. One second into eternity, being an American will not matter one bit. One bit. The sign that they were supposed to be looking for was a resurrection. But for some, the stumbling block was they couldn't get past the cross. They couldn't get past it. There's a second group that Paul talks about, and that is the Greeks. That's the, uh, uh, the Gentiles, but in this case, he's using the Greeks, and, and it represents something for us to look at too. And in verse 18, it says, For the word of the cross is folly, folly to those who are perishing. But to us, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The group here that he's talking to, Paul said, the cross is foolishness to the Greeks. The Greeks honored and respected wisdom and philosophy. We still study the Greek philosophers. We still study the Greek wisdom. And we still use teaching methods that were started by Socrates. Still today, the Socratic method of teaching, something I did a lot in my former life. But they, they relied on reason and rational thought. And so Paul is saying that to them who rely on, on their mind power, this is foolishness. It doesn't make sense. Now I will say that not every unbeliever sees us as everything that we do is crazy. A lot of it. But they will look at Jesus and they will say, right, that he, whoa, he was a good teacher. That's right, he was a good teacher. He, uh, he gave us the golden rule, not that we follow it, but he gave it to us. It's a great moralistic teacher, impacted the world. But when he, it gets to the place where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, people go, huh, you're a good teacher, you're just a little bit crazy. And so they stop at the cross. They stop there. And I did not know this until uh, actually hosting, uh, our family hosted exchange students. And in the time, we hosted two uh, Muslim students uh, in our home for a year each. And realization that the Quran comes 600 years after Christ and that Jesus is in the Quran, if you did not know that. It's uh, the virgin birth is there, okay? Jesus performing miracles is there. You know what's not there? Muhammad performing miracles. It's not. Jesus does, same ones that's in your Bible. The point that it stops is the cross because God would not allow a prophet to suffer like Jesus and that there's a greater prophet to them, the one who comes last. And so, in that place, they believe that Judas was crucified, that God substituted him, switched him really fast. And so what we see, though, is that there's people who say, I can see a virgin birth. I can see that. That's miraculous, but I can see that. 
I could see a guy healing people of leprosy. I could see that. But what I can't see is a sinless man dying on a cross to forgive my sins. It stops there. And you see, the word folly, let me just give you a translation for that, okay? Now, I said I like Texas shirts. I'm really from Oklahoma. So this is, this is not a Greek translation. This is an Oklahoma translation. Folly is stupid. Okay? That's it. Folly is stronger than just mistaken. It's not just mistaken. It's crazy. It's stupid. And Paul says in, in um, 1 Corinthians 1.19, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the expert or the teacher of this generation? Where is the scribe or the interpreter and the writer? Where is the debater or the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And what Paul is saying here is have your studies brought you to know God in a personal way, to know him, because God has made that foolish because he came to connect. He came to you. Not you trying to get there. He came to you. Paul, in a great section of scripture in Acts chapter 17, we're going to read, preaches a message to the Greeks in the, on a temple in a temple. And he says this, read along with me, men of Athens, that's Greek, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. He compliments them and he's actually using their culture and uh, what, they, what, they, what he has seen, he studied them. It's a great message on, on how to connect with an unbelieving world right here. It says, for I passed along and I observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Well, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Look at this that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far away from each of us. For, and he uses their own teachings here, in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring." But, then God, but being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the imagination of man standing in front of so many gods formed in that manner. He says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man he appointed we call that man Jesus. And of this he has been given us assurance. What is the assurance of our faith? What is the basis of our faith? What is the tipping point of our faith? It is by raising him from the dead. Paul says, 
God is actually not far from each of us because he sent his son. And the cross is not foolishness to those who believe. It is the assurance of our faith because in the cross he dies for our sins and out of the grave he arises as the sign of, of who he's connected to. The sign as our assurance, the wonders that we demand. Several years ago, several years ago, make it 20 years ago, uh, at one point I was, I worked at this job part-time at the church. I was part-time youth director, that's what we were called back then, uh, and I taught school. And, um, and so I had made a transition from a rural school to I, I was hired at McKinney ISD and I was teaching part-time, I mean working here at the church part-time. And one of our students from the first years ended up going to the University of Texas. And, uh, and so and she was involved in a church and leadership. And she invited me down to do a D-NOW. This was unlike a lot of D-NOWs I'd done because it didn't involve junior high boys and smelly feet. But it was college students. Okay? And so uh, way different. And so in that time, I was just a couple years older than they couple years out into the workforce, and I had made a statement at one point, I just remember this, uh, that I shared that much of my life had been blessed because I was a Christian, and even, even being hired at some school districts, one of the factors was that it wasn't my, my education from Eastern Oklahoma State College that, that tipped them off that I'd be a great teacher, it was that I was a Christian, and I was a follower of Jesus Christ, and I was investing in students' lives uh, outside of a, of a classroom, and so uh, even at McKinney ISD. And so, um, so I kind of shared that, and, and that was my viewpoint. That was my context. And, um, and the, the host home family, the guy was maybe just 10 years older than us, working in Austin, in the tech industry, said, that's great, but that's not my context. You see, in my world, people think I'm foolish. In my world, I'm stupid for following Jesus Christ. In my world, I'm ignorant for being a devoted follower of Jesus. And he shared the, the drawbacks of losing some business and some clients because of the things and places he wouldn't go after hours. And he said, this is some of y'all's reality. I hope, it's, I hope some of y'all face Griff's reality. But there's a world out there that sees us as foolish and ignorant, no matter how educated we are. But then Paul gives us a third group. And hopefully... Hopefully, you're in this group. And it says, back in that section of Scripture in verse, uh, it says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, but to those who are called. Now, that group of called comes from the two other groups, from both Jews and Greeks. To those who are called, Christ is the power of God, and he is the wisdom of God. And so, 
these people have cleared a stumbling block, right? Those Jewish believers, those Jewish believers who are called, they got past the stumbling block. They climbed over. They, God led them past that. There's Greeks who understood that there was some reason maybe, or, and God opened their eyes that it's not as foolish as they might have thought. The church of Corinth was made up of both, and Paul wanted them to realize that this letter was written to the group of people in the church together. And although the cross divides humanity, it divides humanity just like if Paul divides humanity in Jews and Gentiles or Jews and Greeks. There's just two groups to a Jewish person like Paul. It's us and them. And Paul says and the cross divides just like that. It's those who believe unto salvation and those who are perishing at the cross. It's just two groups. And he wanted them to know that there is power lost when you lose the cross. And in, and in this section, he mentions two things that Christ is through the power of the cross. Christ is the power of God and wisdom of God. And for time's sake and, the, and addressing wisdom, uh, that picks up in chapter 2 and throughout some of the other sections of, of 2 Corinthians. And if Paul talks about it, Mike is going to talk about it, maybe next week. So I'm not going to delve into that part. But the power of God through the cross, and then we see that there's two groups and no, that divides humanity, those who are perishing and those who are being saved. And no human wisdom, Paul says, or power or insight or cleverness can rescue us from our mortality and our rebellion. Nothing we can do can make, even though we realize our mortality, it can't, we can't save ourselves from that. And our rebellion against God or our sin against him. The problem is, is that in our world until that you encounter is that many people are trusting in their goodness. After all, at every intersection, they give at least a dollar to a homeless person. They're good. We have so many small things that we trust in. And when we compare ourselves to others, we can always find somebody to compare ourselves to to make ourselves look good. And especially in the area of our works. And therefore, we stack ourselves up much higher than we ought to. And we see that the repair was costly. It was God's son. There's no other way. It's what Jesus tells us. And this seems folly. It seems stupid to self-sufficient people, to good people. It does. To see their own weaknesses and their own failings and admit it. Now I was thinking, that's what we do as Christians. We see our weakness and we admit it. And there's not many groups who do that. We're good at pointing out the evilness of our opponents. But the plank in our own eye, we don't see very well. But there's a group of people outside the church who do this really well. And I was reading one of their documents, and that group is Alcoholics Anonymous and groups like that and the NA and things like that. And in their, one of their, their, author, their founder authored a book called 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. He has this section I want to read for you today. And it says this, when he's, and it's in the first section, step one, step one. 
why all this insistence that every Alcoholics Anonymous must hit bottom first? The answer is that few people will sincerely try to practice the AA program unless they have hit rock bottom. For practicing AAs, remaining 11 steps means the adoption of attitudes and actions that almost no alcoholic who is still drinking can dream of taking. What's he saying? To the alcoholic, those meeting in AA groups are stupid. They've, they're foolish. <laughs> I got this under control. <laughs> and it, it's folly to them. It's folly because they don't see the thing that's destroying their lives and probably destroying others that, that they love and people they don't even know at intersections. And he says this, who wishes to be rigorously honest and tolerant? That means control, control their drinking. Who wishes to do that, to be honest with themselves? Who wants to confess his faults to another and then even past that, make restitution for harm done? Who wants to do that? Who cares anything about a higher power, let alone meditation and prayer? Who wants to sacrifice time and energy in trying to carry AA's message to the next sufferer? No, the average alcoholic, self-centered in the extreme, doesn't care for this prospect. Unless, unless he has to do these things in order to stay alive himself. This is all folly until it's a thing that saves my life. It's all stupid until it's the power of my being. It's all stupid until I, I've wrecked my life on my own decisions that I thought were wise and they were stupid and they were damaging. This all seems stupid. Everything we do seems stupid until it's the only thing that keeps us alive. The only thing. And I think that person, and I have to say, that person has to be a Christian. <laughs> he has to have read Paul. It's hardly outside of Scripture, I could, I could see a better description of who we are and what we're about than that right there if you just switch a couple things. The cross is foolishness, except to those who recognize that they are a sinner. The sinner who is being saved, it is the power of life. And to the believer in the church, and to the believers in Corinth, and to the believers in Van Alstine, the, Christ, the cross unites us and should be our focus. It unites us as the primary issue. Primary. And nothing is even close. But yet we get off on secondary and tertiary issues, just like the, those in Corinth. And Paul says this in closing in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, not for a Jewish man who got over the stumbling block. It's a big statement. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, 
For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.